0: And yes, let me say a word of prayer as we continue. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for um, this service, God, for this community, for this uh, gathering of your people. God, I thank you so much for the beautiful worship that we have already been part of, Lord, that you've drawn us into. um, And as just thinking about this phrase of laboring unto glory. And so in all the different ways that we labor, God, and all the different places you call us to labor, God, um, such a beautiful, profound reminder that we labor for you and for your glory. So God, be with us. May, may, may our, our gathering even, Lord, be a labor for your glory this morning. Be with me as I teach, Lord, and be with us as we commune together around your table. And Lord, uh, perhaps more than anything, bless the reading of your word. God, your holy word, may it pierce our hearts as we hear it read aloud today. We thank you for this. We pray for your continued guidance and blessing. Amen. Amen. This scripture is printed on the back of your bulletin. And it is Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt Tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, "The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, and will hand him over to the Gentiles." When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, "Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord Jesus." When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. This is the word of God. Well, thank you all for being here today. Uh, It's great to be with you. And thank you, Rinalda, for preaching last week. Uh, Though I wasn't here in person, as you know, I was blessed by your word and your message as I listened uh, to it throughout the last week. And so here we are at the start of another new chapter uh, in the book of Acts. This marks our 42nd week together as a church which means we've been steeped in the book of Acts for 42 weeks. Uh, It's hard to believe, actually, that we're nearing the end of this year-long sermon series. But even as we near the end, as you might expect, and as some of you know, things don't really slow down in this book. Uh, We're not easing into anything, kind of like an easy ending, as we continue to follow the missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and the continued work of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we saw Paul... Uh, surrounded by friends and followers, brothers and sisters who deeply loved him. And we were told that they wept and they embraced him and they kissed him and that they grieved that Paul said he must leave them and that they would never see him again. And our chapter this morning opens with a reminder of that. So if we didn't know how difficult it was last week, our chapter this morning opens with that, uh, how difficult that reality was. Verse one, Luke, the author of Acts says, we had torn ourselves away. This wasn't like a quick goodbye or an awkward goodbye or anything like that. But this was a tearing away. The original Greek word you, uh, here that can be translated sometimes as, as being drug away or wrenching yourself from something. That's so why I bring this up because it really set the stage for the rest of this passage. Now, this is a serious passage. Uh, and we see throughout it that Paul gets warnings that he needs to stay away from this destination, Jerusalem. But these warnings are not new. And we, uh, we see that in how these people in Miletus, where Paul was in last week's passage, how they clung to him. They, like those in this morning's passage, they knew that only pain and suffering awaited Paul in Jerusalem. And yet, Paul and his crew, they pressed forward. They all tore themselves away from one another and they set sail. And what awaits them in Jerusalem is, uh, well, we'll get there soon enough. Not today. Today we are on this journey to Jerusalem. And on this journey, I love what our guide, Willie James Jenny says. He says, the Spirit doesn't talk in this passage. He says, the Spirit doesn't speak in this passage. But the Spirit is screaming in this passage. Screaming about what awaits Paul in Jerusalem. So, walking through the passage, as we, as we have been lately there, uh, we're given a lot of geographical uh, specifics for Paul's journey. And throughout this journey in these 14 verses in Acts 21, we see not once but twice other people, just like the people who were grieving in Miletus last week, other people telling Paul and his crew to stop and to not go any further. Uh, we see this first in verse four where the disciples, they met entire They urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But we're told in verse five, Paul and his people left and they continued on their journey. Uh, It seems like a similar picture of people grieving at what awaits Paul. We're told wives and children, everybody Mm -hmm. accompanied Paul uh, out of the city. And before they left, they all knelt to pray, which I think is just a really beautiful picture. Mm -hmm. They all knelt to pray before Paul left. And then in verse 8, Paul reaches uh, Caesarea and he stays with Philip, the evangelist, who we actually first met in Acts chapter 8. Uh, Philip, he's the same evangelist, the same man who we, uh, who met the eunuch in chapter 8. And uh, if you remember, that was uh, Dr. Liz Rios who preached on that so many uh, months ago. Now, Philip is not by himself here. Um, now we're told he has four daughters, all of whom have the gift of to prophesy which is a beautiful manifestation of what we read what we were told in Acts chapter 2 verse 17 where God says that he will pour out his spirit on all people mm-hmm. and your sons and your daughters will prophesy
1: mm.
0: now it would be easy to to kind of just glance over the statement in verse 9 mm-hmm. just keep going just thinking that's a specific you know one detail that Luke includes but keep moving but i think it's really important for us to just stop for a moment mm-hmm as it ties us to the historic and the ongoing work uh, of the Holy Spirit, the history of Acts, even within from Acts 2 to Acts 21. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It reminds us very clearly, too, that this work that we have been talking about, that we've been reading, that we're talking about today, is not relegated to one group of people, to one gender, but that here Philip's four daughters are prophesying just as we were told they would be. Mm -hmm. They uh, and other men and other women would be back in Acts 2. Now, we're not sure what they prophesied. Uh, and For whatever reason, the content of that speech, uh, it wasn't of importance for this particular passage for Luke. So we continue to move on and we see yet another prophet make an appearance, this time the prophet known as Agabus, who we also encountered before on this year-long journey through Acts. So this is just like a big reunion for Paul. Uh, Agabus came to us in Acts 11 when the church in Antioch was being established and Agabus, the prophet, came to the growing community. If you remember, he came to this community and through the Holy Spirit, he predicted that a severe famine was coming and that it would spread over the Roman world. And it was because of Agabus's prediction that the church in Antioch responded and they provided help for their brothers and sisters who were living in Judea. And then we don't hear from Agabus again until this morning, here beginning in verse 10. And it is quite the proclamation, quite the picture that he gives to Paul. So Agabus travels to where Paul and his companions are. He were told he comes from Judea, about 80 miles away. And as soon as he arrives, he takes Paul's belt from him, which is likely a rope holding his robe up. Uh, And so he takes it. And he ties his hands and feet, his own hands and feet, not Paul's, but Agabus ties his own hands and feet and said, this is what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. You will be bound. This now was apparently, at least in last week's passage, this morning's passage, this seems like the prophecy to end all prophecies. Because Luke, the narrator in this passage, says that we and the people... Pleaded with Paul, verse 12. No longer was it just the people that Paul was visiting who asked him not to continue to Jerusalem, but now his own companions were pleading with him as well. And Paul's response is, I'm ready. I'm ready to be bound like this. I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus Christ. And when it became obvious he wouldn't change his mind, Luke and everyone who had been pleading said, The Lord's will be done. And that's that. Now, I think it would be easy to come to this passage, to this interaction with Agabus, and simply read this as something kind of like, See, pain and suffering await you, so just grit your teeth and prepare yourself. Be ready for it. Be willing to die in the name of Christ. End of sermon. Let's worship. Mm -hmm. I think that is far too simplistic of a reading of this passage. And also, I don't think what God calls us to, because what's happening here truly is, is we are witnessing Paul walking in the footsteps of Jesus as he prepares to go to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Jesus prepared to enter Jerusalem, knowing what awaited him. And there were plenty of people pleading with him not to go. We're given a very vivid picture of this in the gospel of Mark. When Jesus explains what will happen to him, that he must suffer, that he must be rejected, that he must be killed. And then he'll arise from the dead three days later. And in that same interaction, we're told Peter, who we remember from the early parts of Acts, we're told Peter takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him for saying such things. How could you say that, Jesus? And then, of course, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Mm -hmm. That is how serious the statements Jesus was making, Mm -hmm. that he had to say those things, Mm -hmm. and how difficult it was for even Jesus' closest followers to to receive. So when we read this passage here in Acts 21, if we read it as a simple story of of trial or a simple story of of impending pain and suffering, we miss out on what the Holy Spirit is doing Mm -hmm both what God did through Jesus already and what God continues to do in this passage. And I believe what God will do with each of us, our God, this God entered into rejection, God entered into humiliation, God entered into execution. This is the story of Jesus Christ, our God, the God that we gather together to worship, the God we pray to, the God we sing to, the God we wrestle with and we cry out to. This God is not a God who simply sends pain and suffering to his people but he himself enters into the pain and suffering of his world. And more than Paul moving toward pain and suffering on his own, Paul is, as Jennings puts it, Paul is a companion of God as he moves toward the pain and suffering. Paul is a companion of God. And I would say that God is a companion of Paul's in that. There's something stunning about this to me, that all of a sudden Paul's time, his journey, his pain, that these things really become God's time and God's journey and God's pain. And vice versa, God's time and God's journey and God's pain, these these become Paul's too. And while this has always been true for Paul in his different journeys and his different interactions, there's something especially revealing when God's friendship becomes real through pain. And through suffering. If I'm honest with you, when I was preparing for this uh, sermon uh, for much of the week, I didn't really feel much of a connection to these verses. Uh, it just wasn't hitting me what was taking place here. I think uh, I think I was so focused on the geography and the journey, uh, the stops and the pleading of the people that I was missing out on what the Spirit was doing with Paul and what this says to each of us today. And last night, for whatever reason, last night, it just kind of finally connected with me that that when we come together, we don't gather to to meet a God who lives in the abstract or a God who haphazardly foreordains pain in our lives. And though I can't give you a satisfying answer uh, to why we have pain in our lives or in our world, what I see in this passage, what I am reminded of in this passage is that we have a God who endures this pain with us. And when we grieve, when we cry, when we suffer, we know that God too, that God grieves and cries and suffers. When we journey, we know that God journeys with us. When we face whatever we face, no matter how big or how small, no matter how deeply personal or how distant it may seem, we can face that knowing that God is facing it with us. Mm. And friends, I'll also add that one of the most encouraging, amazing things we can learn from Acts not just this, morning, this morning's passage, but what we can learn from all these stories, from all these journeys, is not only that this God, this Holy Spirit is present and with us every single step of the way, but so often, more often than not, that Paul or Peter or any of these people, that they are with their brothers and sisters in the moments of what they're experiencing. Brothers and sisters, people who, who deeply care for him, for Paul right now, who weep that he must leave, that they will never see him again, who pray with him as he travels, who are witnesses to his work and to the decisions he's making, to his his boldness, who no doubt are conversation partners with him on these ships, on these long uncertain journeys, who no doubt are carrying Paul's burdens and Paul's uncertainty and Paul's fear. We see this continue in the upcoming passages too. And so this morning, though, this morning, we sit with this. We sit with this very real fear and sorrow felt by those who are mentioned in these verses. We sit with the courage and the trust of Paul and his companions. We sit with the beautiful community that continues to grow, that continues to support, and that continues to ride together. And we sit with the reality that this community not only has one another, but that they are walking with and they are journeying with the Holy Spirit that great advocate given to God's people as Jesus Christ <laughs> ascended into heaven. You know, I'd like to think that Paul, as, he, as he's going through all this, as people are pleading with him, as they're tearing themselves away from him, as Agabus is telling him what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem, I'd like to think that Paul thinks back on the words of, of David, who wrote Psalm 55, words that he would have no doubt been familiar with. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. We sit with that, and we sit with all of this. And maybe, just maybe, one day, we will be able to look at this world and say, even with lumps in our throats or fears in our hearts, that we could say as a church and as a community, the Lord's will be done. Mm. This was not an overnight thing for Paul. We have been with Paul every step of this journey and we knew Paul who he was before Christ entered into his life. And here at this moment, we hear Paul say, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. It's my hope that one day that we as a church could say that with courage and with fear, with boldness, but with trust, yeah. the Lord's will be done. Amen. So and we, co- we come seeking the Lord's will each week as we commune together through the Lord's Supper. This is a communal act, communal with one another and communal with the Holy Spirit. It's an act that reminds us that we are with God every step of our lives. It's a sacred act, one that we do not come to lightly, but one we are all welcome to partake in. This morning, as you prepare for this time, uh, for this communion with one another and with our God, Uh, this communion that reminds us of the pain and suffering of Jesus Christ, but also reminds us of his resurrection and his defeat of that pain and suffering. And it also reminds us of his ascension to heaven and his promised return to this world. One day, as we all prepare for this time, I invite you as we do each week to sit in this moment of silence and offer, offer up your own prayer, your own thoughts to God. And if you're unsure of what to say or what to think about during this time, um, join me. I'm going to be reflecting on those words from Psalm 55 verse 22 that we sat with earlier in our service. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. So take this as a chance, as an opportunity to prepare for the Lord's Supper.